faith, confidence or trust in a person or thing. Reason, to think or argue in a logical manner, to form conclusions, judgments or inferences from facts or premises. Culture, the customary beliefs, social forms and material traits of a religious, racial or social group. Faith, reason, culture, with Dr. Melissa Travis and Daryl Youngblood. And welcome to the Faith, Reason, Culture podcast on the cgmradio.com network. With me, as always, is Dr. Melissa Kane Travis, and I am Ryan Holland. And today, we are continuing our next installment on our ongoing series of The Chosen. We've discussed, we've done three episodes so far. We've done an introduction to the show. We've talked about episode one and two. And today, we are going to be talking about episode three of The Chosen, which is a really, in so many ways, and I've used the word groundbreaking and phenomenon way too many times on this episode, but it is, it really, we're seeing some things about Jesus and the way Jesus lives and and works that I don't know that we've ever seen before. And the title of the episode is Jesus Loves the Little Children. So, Dr. Travis, uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump in here and start talking about it. But I wanted to get from you and ask you kind of what your initial thoughts were. Maybe your kind of big overarching thoughts were after you saw this episode. That I think a lot of people had to just leave this episode going, I don't, maybe I don't even know what to, it was amazing, it was spectacular, but but wow, this was different, right? Get used to different, that's their big theme. This was different. Oh, it was for sure. And I have to make a confession that when I first sat down to watch the episode and it became very clear that it was going to be devoted to Jesus interacting with little children, I was disappointed at first. Hmm. Okay. Because I was already learning to love the adult characters that had been introduced in the series already. And I was anxious to see more interaction and to see more of the adult figures from Scripture introduced into this beautiful storyline that the writers were developing. So then it comes on and it's Jesus and these little children. And I was a little disappointed at first, but that disappointment turned out to be completely unfounded because this is among all the episodes still one of my favorites in terms of how powerfully it communicates the character of Christ but also the the profound humanity of Christ you know yes. some some of the the church fathers were fond of saying that in Jesus Christ we got perfect humanity. Not only was it perfect humanity, but it was complete humanity. Whereas we as fallen people, we are not quite fully human. And it's the path of sanctification in the life of the believer that makes us more Christ-like as we journey on, but in a very real sense, we are becoming more human as we journey on. So That's remarkable. I've never heard that in my life, the idea that we're not fully human. Because the effects of sin 
cause us to be subhuman. Yeah, that's right, because Adam was created perfect. Right. So here we have Jesus, God incarnate, and he is the second fully human Mm. person to walk the earth. And he made a way for us to increase in our own humanity. How about that? Okay. So now we man, have... Man, we're, we're starting this off with a bang, <laughs> man. We're getting into theology, church fathers. I, I love it. So, all right. So uh, the episode uh, o- opens up what we're, uh, you know, as we kind of go into the into the episode, what were your, what were your thoughts on that? Well, uh, before we sort of do a bit of recapping, I wanted to quote once more from an article that I brought up probably in the first podcast we did on The Chosen. And this is from May 2020 on the Word on Fire website. They did a fantastic article on The Chosen. And I want to say that I personally know some of the scholars that work for the Word on Fire ministry, and I find their content to be extremely trustworthy and enriching. And I loved what the writer of the article said. She said, it is a beautiful intermingling of the divine and the human in this portrayal of Jesus. And uh, she says, the writing seems to intentionally highlight the obedience of a man who is simultaneously divine, but also becoming more aware of that divinity. Now, this idea becoming more aware of that divinity, we're going to talk about that again in a future episode when we cover the wedding at Cana. But for oh, now, yes. I, I just wanted to highlight that from the article because I think it's so beautifully said, this idea that we see in this episode of the profound humanity of Jesus Christ. And one one thing that was surprising to me is that this is the first episode in the series that Jesus appears right from the beginning of the episode. You right. ca- you have to wait for it and wait for it in episode uh, one and for two. It too. Yeah. yeah, you just can't wait to see Jesus. In this one, uh, it opens with Jesus. And we're just all, oh, finally, yeah, thank you. We get yeah. a whole, we get Jesus at least at the beginning. If not, hey, maybe through the whole episode. Yeah, so the show opens and he's in solitude and he's sitting by a campfire and he's in earnest prayer and mm. he's even even weeping a little as he's talking to the father. Uh, and we, you're just really in awe of observing Jesus in communion with his father and just the, the earnestness in his expression and his mannerisms. Um, so beautiful. Yeah, it was. I, I think my jaw may have been on the ground to some extent because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm just watching Jesus. Well, first, obviously, the earnest prayer, right, with the Father and kind of to get a glimpse of what that could possibly look like because we obviously know from the Gospels that that was a very regular practice of his. But then we see him doing very 
normal things. We see him, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I'm watching Jesus brush his teeth. <laughs> so you know right, that right. Dallas Jenkins and the, the rioters were like, we're, we're really, we're really going to show them something they've perhaps never seen. I think that they may have made Christian film history with the opening of Jesus Loves the Little Children. Well, um, early on, it shows Jesus trying to make a campfire. Do you remember this I do. scene? So he's trying to make a campfire, and he's sort of struggling. Yeah. You know, he's like trying, trying, and trying to get it to light, and it and it finally does. And as I'm watching that, I'm thinking to myself, well, of course, that's what it would have been like for him because he's living in the cursed physical world, fully human yet fully divine. And of course, he's having to subject himself, for lack of a better way to put it, to the brokenness of the world and the frustrations that come from having to deal with this broken physical world that we're left to live in. And I thought, you know, I bet there are some Christians watching this scene and they're all upset because they're thinking, couldn't Jesus have just spoken the campfire into or, existence? Or what about fire coming out of his fingers? Right, and just, right, right. You know, just kind of <laughs> kind of like you pour lighter fluid and then light it and, you know, I mean, he, he could have done that but I think even on his own it kind of reminds me of I believe one of the uh, I think it's one of the apocryphal gospels maybe it's the gospel of Thomas or where I think doesn't Jesus as a child he he creates toys or he does something supernatural with toys or it's it's totally it's totally ridiculous but I think uh, if you're thinking of fiction fiction regarding Jesus that's the kind of stuff almost like a Thor type character that could you know do all do all kinds of crazy things but if we're living in reality of Jesus who did not do his first miracle until the wedding feast at Cana, that's exactly how it would have happened, right? Right, right. And I want to go back to what you said about could he have done it that way? Yes, absolutely, he could have. I agree. Um, But he did not. And what is this saying about the essence of Jesus Christ, that he is fully human and fully divine. But what do we do with this dynamic of the intentional unuse of divine power, if you will? Uh, And I did a little bit of research yesterday on what some of the great theologians of the past had to say about this. And I came across a marvelous passage from John Calvin. And the way John Calvin phrased it was that when Jesus was incarnate and living here in his doing his earthly ministry, his divine powers, if you will, were in repose. And I thought that's such a great way to put it. I love that. You know, so he's living a human existence here, but that does not mean he didn't still possess all of the attributes and powers of his divinity. Right. So I think um, those things being in repose uh, is a really wonderful, accurate way to describe it. Right. And someone like me who's not quite as eloquent as John Calvin would just basically say, he has those divine powers. He's just choosing not to use them right now. Right, I mean, essentially, right, right. they're just, they're in repose. They're, they're stagnant in a, in a way. 
uh, they're still there. I don't think you can cease to be God, right? He can't cease to not have to not have those powers, but as God, he can choose not to use or employ those attributes. Right, right. So here we are. Jesus, he finally makes his campfire, and he's just puttering around the campsite doing all these wonderfully normal housekeeping <laughs> duties. That's so neat right? to wash. And then you see him, he washes his feet before he gets into his tent for the night. Uh, and then he starts reciting one of those beautiful Jewish prayers that begin, blessed are you, Lord, our God, king of the universe. And then in this instance, he says, who brings sleep to my eyes. But we hear this structured prayer over and over and over throughout the whole series beginning blessed are you lord our god king of the of the universe and i emphasize this because this becomes a wonderful device of the storytelling and we see it uh, particularly in the episode that covers the wedding feast at cana so we will be talking more about that but here we have Jesus doing this very human thing, camping out in the wilderness, and then his solitude is invaded by these adorable children. First, a little girl named Abby who spies on him, and she enters his campsite when he's not there and starts playing with his things, toy boats and all sorts of I think at one point she even picks up uh, one of his carpentry tools that looks like some sort of blade. And then uh, he spies her and she runs away. Yeah. Right. And then she comes back. She's so intrigued by this man camping in the desert. She comes back and she brings a friend, her friend Joshua. Uh, And so then you have Abby and Joshua both spying on what Jesus is doing. Um, in his campsite. And then do you remember what Jesus does when he realizes they're spying? Yes. I love his prayer, <laughs> right? He does a prayer, <laughs> thanking God for the food. And then he, what does he say? He says uh, something about, uh, he prays that the children that are here watching me will, will have the courage to come in and introduce <laughs> themselves to me, something to that extent. Right, right, right. Um, and so this launches into this entire episode of Jesus's interaction with Abby and Joshua, but then they bring their whole crowd of friends uh, to meet Jesus because they just think he's so fascinating. And there's uh, there's a scene early on where I believe it's the little girl, Abby. She asks him what he's making, and she points to this device that's laying aside. And Jesus tells her it's a lock and key mechanism. Um, and he says, uh, this is kind of how it's going to work when it's finished. And then I love this exchange. He explains to her that he's a craftsman and that wealthy people like to trade for nice playthings for their children. So that explains the toy boat that Abby had seen and some of the other things lying around. Um, and she gets this sad look on her face and she says, well... I don't have wealthy parents. And you can tell by the look on her face, well, my parents wouldn't be able to afford these lovely playthings. And Jesus looks at her and he says, many times that's better. 
Yeah. And you just, you feel the gravity in his words. And you just know this little girl's going to remember that the rest of her life. Right. And it's a bit of a foreshadowing. I, I see in this episode, especially with something like that, because later on, Jesus, of course, when confronted by the, or uh, approached by the rich young ruler, uh, after that exchange, he says it, it is hard for, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for an eye to go, a uh, camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then, of course, with, with these kids coming, with this big group of kids coming that uh, perhaps uh, not mistakenly is similar in size to the, the group that is going to be traveling with him in, in the very near future. In some ways, I, I kind of see that as a bit of a, a foreshadowing of what he's going to be experiencing with adults very soon because as we're going to see as the episode goes along it's almost i mean they're walking around with him they're you know they're going different places doing different things with him working with him and this episode really seems to to foreshadow that maybe for some reason maybe the writers had something in mind in that regard something like you know become like this child to enter the kingdom of god oh yeah we're gonna see this theme running throughout the entire series, actually. Um, and we'll, we'll even talk about it um, again in this discussion of this episode. But yes, so hang on to that thought, listeners, because we are going to reflect back on this idea of uh, the stratified society of Jesus's time and how he navigated that in a revolutionary way. And this is just one beautiful, poetic instance of that when he just looks at Abby um, after she says her parents aren't wealthy and says many times that is better. Yeah. Um, and and she just looks at him and she says, well, I don't know about that. And it's, <laughs> it's precious, yeah. right? Um, but hang on to that because we're going to see this theme again. Then comes what is probably one of my top five favorite moments in the series to date. And it this is very simple, but it, it flashes to the evening and Jesus is once again alone. And he has the lock and key mechanism that was in the process when the children visited. And he's sort of doing final tweaks to to it to get it to work smoothly. And then you hear this satisfying click where it does exactly what it was crafted to do. And he holds it out and he simply says, it is good. And he smiles at it. And I thought Mm. to myself, that is a beautiful reminder of the fact that any good work well done is deeply Christian work that the Lord delights in having endowed us with creative abilities and that something as mundane as a lock and key mechanism, for example, can glorify the Lord in its excellent craftsmanship. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. And that has to be remembered, especially a lot of us are engaged in jobs that are perhaps mundane, that we don't like, that doesn't perhaps ultimately fulfill uh, our, our giftings and our callings. But something, something simple, a job simply well done for the Lord is glorifying to him. Like whatever you, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And, and something that I thought of, 
or at least I'm thinking of now, I don't know if I thought of it when I initially saw the show, but at least what I'm thinking of now in that regard, when he, when he created that and he said, it is good, that makes me think of the fact that the second person of the Trinity, the Word, was involved in creation at the beginning. He created, you know, he created, and then he said it was good. He created, and he said it was good. And so it's, I think, like what, what you're saying about deep, about work well done for the Lord being a very satisfying and deeply Christian, uh, but then also his, he was there, right? I mean, he was, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And, uh, and wow, so it's almost like the, 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 manifestation of his uh, creation before time is the simple stuff that he did here on earth. Right. It was absolutely no accident that Jesus was born into the family of a carpenter and that he worked skillfully with his hands. He's he's described in this series repeatedly, self-described as a craftsman. He makes things. Yeah. And there's a double meaning in that when he talks about that, right? Just like you said, he is the literal creator of the creator, universe. Yeah. Um, but yet he, in his incarnate state, he models for us uh, the the deeply Christian practice of sub-creation, to use J.R.R. Tolkien's word. He said, God is the creator. We are sub-creators. He's endowed us with these abilities. And just to give one more geeky quote related to this point. Oh, please. It was the great Dorothy Sayers, friend of C.S. Lewis and theologian in her own right, who said, the only Christian work is good work well done. And, and her point in the essay where this quote is from is that we tend to have this very strange misconception that unless you're a pastor or a seminary professor or what have you, if you're in quote unquote secular work, as you mentioned a moment ago, Ryan, that that's not Christian work and nothing could be further from the truth. When you do anything for the glory of the Lord, that is deeply Christian work. It, it is. And he is the, he is the creator of creators. We, I think we miss that a lot. And especially I think the arts in Christianity has uh, really made a resurgence in the past few decades. And especially when it comes to Christian film. He, I mean, there is something that is there. We're created in his image. We're created to create in multiple in multiple ways, and I think the the arts are a um, I don't know they're, they're a the result they're a result they're a manifestation of of that very thing, and so even with something like the arts with a with a portrait, you know, we're we're here podcasting at a, at an Anglican church uh, sanctuary right now, which is really cool, and uh, the, the art that's here. It's, it's important for people that are performers to, to understand that we can do these things to the, we can be a part of these things, but we need to do these things to the glory of, to the glory of God and, and well done. And of course, th- this series, The Chosen, is a very, very good example of that. Okay, so Jesus goes to bed after his prayer, and it's the next morning uh, when 
Abby and Joshua come back and they've brought all their friends, as I mentioned earlier. So the day before, just Abby and Joshua, today's the day they bring their whole horde of other friends and they get to see Jesus brushing his teeth and washing his face by the stream, as you mentioned early in the episode. Um, and I, I, along with many other people, along with you, Ryan, was floored by that scene because never have I seen Jesus portrayed in such very mundane humanity. Uh, and I, I think it's a, a beautiful thing that they did with that scene. And then the, the children kind of start questioning him, hey, is your father rich? And <laughs> Jesus just laughs and he says, that's a question for another yeah. time. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, he he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but we're gonna we're gonna not gonna talk about that right. Right, now. right. That's exactly the scripture that came to my mind when uh, when he says the line. That's a question for another time. And then they're just peppering him with one question after another after another, like curious children always do. Uh, and at one point, one of the children asks him about his favorite food, and yes, he, and he I loved that. I love his response. He says. I like many different foods, but I especially like bread for many reasons. Yeah. So we already know they're setting us up with another tangible theme that's going to run throughout the show, um, bread. Uh, and we'll see other tangible themes as develop as episodes go on. But this is sort of this introduction of uh, the theme of bread in Christian theology. Um, and it, so as time goes on, Jesus is mentoring these children. So he's giving them uh, theological lessons brought down to a level that they can understand. Uh, he, he has them all together at one point, and they recite the prayer known as the Jewish Shema. So if you aren't familiar with the formal prayers and liturgies of Judaism, the Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and then it is reappears in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in Matthew, it's found in chapter 22, in Mark, it's in chapter 12, and in Luke, it's in chapter 10. And most Christians, rather than being familiar with the word Shema, they're familiar with what we call, what Jesus called the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And there's variations on which verses include which of that list of terms. Uh, but he has the children uh, recite the prayer, and he just looks around at them with this utter look of pride on his face. He's so proud that they knew all the words to the prayer, and you wonder, what was he thinking? You know, his face seemed to communicate so much to me in yeah. that time. A pride, a joy, hope, um, and, I, and I think, and I felt like I saw in his face maybe e even a a tint of sorrow. I just felt like I saw that, and I'm not totally sure what that may have, and I could be wrong about that, but something, or, or maybe or maybe he was looking at them and thinking about his crucifixion, going, I'm going to die for them so that they could 
be, be this and so much more oh, yeah. than, than yeah. what this is, you know, but there was, there was a, there was a gravity to his look as, as well. I love the way Jonathan Rumi, his face on, you know, how he portrayed Jesus in that scene was just brilliant. It was so apropos and I, I, I feel like really spoke a lot. Yeah. There's um right after this, there's another nod to a deeply Christian theology of work, because at one point he says to the, to the children, everyone has a much larger job than just their trade. So whereas we should absolutely see our trade to use his word as something that can be done Christianly, we also need to remember that overarching that is a much larger job, as he puts it. Yeah, even if you are a now world-famous actor like Jonathan Rumi and the cast of The Chosen, and, and even doing a Bible series that portrays Jesus, we all ultimately have a much larger calling, which is to be disciples of Christ and, and to employ, uh, to follow Christ and to employ those gifts that he's called us to and and given us right right so then at the end of this day that's portrayed uh, it shows the children walking home and they're talking amongst themselves speculating about who this man is and surely by genius design of the writers the tiniest girl in the group who looks years younger than all the rest of the group she pipes up in this sweet little high-pitched voice and she says maybe he's a prophet who will tell us the will of god (laughs) and she's so spot on i mean you know this as the viewer but i can't help but think this was a genius move on the part of the writers because among these children she's the least in size and age but yet she speaks the absolute truth. Yeah, right. right. I mean, from the mouths of infants and, and nursing babes, I've, I've established praise for myself. And yeah, she just, boom, yep. brings it out you're there. Like, you're like, and, well, yes. And, and especially in juxtaposition to the, to the learned, the astute, the powerful Pharisees who largely are not getting it. Right. As well. Absolutely. So here you have this like little girl, and especially in her age, uh, less schooled than, yep. than the boys and so forth, that it just kind of, it's a great, rep- uh, juxtaposed with the, the Pharisees, the ultra schooled, the most intelligent, who, who are supposed, really should have gotten it more than anybody else. Yeah, you have it. It's a yep. great preview. So we're already seeing more of that theme I mentioned a little bit ago about the lesser like she's smaller, she's younger, and she's female, right. but she's the one with the dramatic insight here. Okay, so then another day with Jesus and the children, they're following him all around in the wilderness, and there's a very touching scene where he instructs them on the Lord's Prayer. We'll see the Lord's Prayer again much later, but I think it was a wonderful creative choice for them to portray the Lord's Prayer being taught first to children, because we're going to see it taught to adults much, much later on in the series. And then in in this segment of the episode, there is a scene where Jesus has wounded himself. And he's tending a wound on his arm and bandaging it. And I thought there's another great way to 
portray the frailties of physical human existence yeah. that he had to I mean, had come to on, live with. If you are the son of God, <laughs> surely you wouldn't hurt yourself while right? While wouldn't you have just work. Um, like looked at the wound and it would have healed all on its own well, miraculously? Well, and, and well, okay, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say that because as at the time of this recording, the season two finale just came out and you haven't seen it yet so I won't say what oh, I was about. Oh, thank you, thank you. No spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> but there's something related to that actually in the season two finale. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then um, we have a scene with Jesus telling the children scary stories by a campfire. Again, such a, a beautiful human activity. And he teaches them various songs, and there's this beautiful sing-along that they're doing as they help him all around his campsite. Uh, and then there's a, a deeply moving scene of Jesus praying, and he is clearly agonizing over his forthcoming mission. And it, this is, is this the first time we see that, where we really get the sense that he is um, he's anticipating what's to come and that he's feeling the weight and the anguish. Absolutely. I don't yeah. think that was at all in episode one or two. Okay. Okay. So we're seeing that as, as a foreshadowing. Yeah. So the next day, we get what I think really amounts to a mini sermon on the mount. Uh, Jesus is doing a more formal lesson style uh, teaching with the children, uh, and he he does things like challenge the eye for an eye legalism of the Torah, and he talks to them about the expectation of the Messiah, and he poses this penetrating question to these children. He says, what if many of the things our people think about how we are to behave and how we are to treat one another are wrong? And you see this look of wonder cross the faces of many of the children and maybe a bit of puzzlement. You know, well, what and, what could that mean? And was this the episode where he said, where in, where in, we, I would say the Old Testament, what, what's the, the Tanakh, what's the big word for the Old Testament? I forget what, um, how, how the Jews refer to the whole Old Testament, but where in the scriptures does it say that the Messiah is going to be this military leader? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and he just kind of poses that he's kind of like a little bit frustrated, like, why do people think this? It doesn't even say it in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus asks them, what does the Lord say in the law of Moses about justice and vengeance? And the only child who knows the answer is little Abby. And Jesus looks at the rest of the group and he says, boys, pay attention. She doesn't even go to Torah class. <laughs> <laughs> so we get another, um, yet another hint of that ongoing theme of Jesus elevating those who right. were lower culturally speaking in that time and place right yeah and we're going to see it more and more i think in a big way with with mary as well uh, especially into season two yeah yeah and then one of the kids just flat out pointedly asks him what is your reason for being here you know they've they've, they've gotten to know him a little bit they've spent some time with him and now they're trying to figure out why is this 
great teacher out here in the wilderness camping by himself. And and so the question comes, what is your reason for being here? And this moment of struggle uh, crosses Jesus's face. And he finally says, for all of you, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty for the captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the children would have recognized this because it is a passage from the book of Isaiah. Um, and so... Uh, it's just this beautiful moment where he's quoting this to them, um, knowing that they probably aren't quite mature enough to grasp what he's hinting at. Right. But it's there and they will remember it. And he it. announces it to them first. Right. right. Before he, he does it famously in the synagogue, he gives it to the children in private first. Now, obviously, this is not scripture. This whole episode is completely made up and we of course we we understand that but like what i think melissa what you've talked about in a previous episode is that does what is being written go in line even if those words aren't in the bible or if that scene is not in the bible is what is being written in line with the character and the mind of christ and in so many ways it is you think i think about things jesus said you know i did i did not come to uh you know, I forget the scripture exactly, but revealing himself to to the foolish and to the lesser and and uh, first before before the greater. And I'm totally botching that, but I, I just I, it's amazing. You know, I thank you, Lord, heaven and earth, that you know you you kept this from the wise and you revealed it to to the to the foolish. And and it's really amazing. It, there seems to be this principle being displayed in this episode of of Jesus revealing himself first to, I mean, to these children who would have no, you know, they, they're not going to make, oh, this this guy quotes this, so this must be the Messiah. They're not going to make that connection, but he gives it to them first anyway. Right, but they're, they're adoring and they're trusting, and they ask incredibly important questions, more important than they themselves realize the questions are. And Jesus looks at them again with this look of pride on his face, and he says, I hope my next students ask the kinds of questions that you have, but I suspect they do not have the kind of understanding that you do. And so this should bring to our minds uh, the passage that speaks of the value of the childlike faith. And this is a bit of an apologetics ministry soapbox for me, but I cannot even count the number of times I've heard people remark, well, why do we need to know deep theology and apologetics arguments? Doesn't the scripture say all we need is a childlike faith? But what's happening is they're confusing this biblical concept of childlike faith, trust and inquisitiveness with childish faith, which is a completely different thing. So a childish faith would be to not be inquisitive, to not be 
trusting to not investigate the deeper things of God. Yeah, who asks more questions? And oftentimes, us parents can get even annoying at times than children. Yeah, what about why? this? What about why? Yeah. why? 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 Yeah. If you've ever had a toddler in your life, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, so I, th- I thought that was a, a beautiful line that, again, so right in line with scripture theologically and right in line with the character of Jesus. Um, and then uh, the final scene of the show, this was the one that wrecked me. I've said in previous podcasts, every episode has at least one scene that just utterly wrecks me and I'm in tears and this was it for me. The next morning, Abby returns to the campsite and Jesus is gone. But he has left behind this amazing wooden playset for her to use with her doll. And so you're remembering her sadness about, oh, my parents can't afford nice playthings. But she had showed Jesus this little doll that her mom had made for her. So here's this beautiful, elaborate wooden place set for the doll. Uh, and it, it has like a house and there's a stable with little animals. And I did not notice this until I rewatched. The first time I saw this episode, it completely flew past uh, my notice. But when I rewatched the episode, if you notice in the, the little toy house and stable set underneath a little shelter, he put a little manger with a scrap of cloth in it. Oh, I did not notice that. Yes, you have to go back and watch oh it. It's my gosh. so touching. So then there's there's this little manger sitting there and you sort of, the camera doesn't zoom in on it. So that's why it's easy to miss. But the camera angle is just right for you to see the little manger with, some, with a piece of cloth in it. Um, and there's this beautiful little note accompanying this gift to Abby. Um, and it's, it's, he says something to the effect of, um, I know you can read. So he's expressing how proud he is of her intelligence. Um, And the last line of the note is, I did not come only for the wealthy. And he's, as I said, blessed her with this beautiful, elaborate playset. And then I'm just weeping. (laughs) So beautiful. Well, you're you're like me. Like I, I think I mentioned in the first episode how when I told you originally about The Chosen, I had, when we were in that coffee shop with uh, you and Daryl Youngblood, the other uh, host of the Faith, Reason, Culture from time to time, I just, I literally started crying right there in Starbucks because I was just so overwhelmed by this episode. There was just, there was just so much there to see Jesus as portrayed with these children and teaching them and leading them and loving them and working with them and uh, affirming them and, and all the, all the things that he was doing was just the you know the montage I loved the just the montage of Jesus going around doing all these various things with the children uh, it was just it's a very special episode yeah it it definitely is and uh, among my favorites although you guys will probably hear me say among my favorites I, I know, uh, every single time it's we really talk. hard to pick but I will say <laughs> the season finale of season two will probably be among 
your favorite. Okay. Just wait. Okay. Well, I let's just say I was pleasantly astounded by how rich in meaning this episode was and how many beautiful takeaways I had. And I hope we see this little crowd of children again. I hope I hope they, they come back and we see them again. <laughs> I have a feeling that we might. Well, Dr. Travis, is there anything else you'd like to say before before we sign off and end our this installment on episode three of The Chosen? I think this is a good place to wrap up, Ryan. Okay, awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much again for joining us as we're going through this series on The Chosen on the Faith, Reason, Culture podcast. If you'd like, you can email us, frc at cgmradio.com, frc at cgmradio.com. You can also go to cgmradio.com slash frc or just search Faith, Reason, Culture podcast in your favorite podcasting app to subscribe. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.